Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Glad to have you with us, everybody. It is uh, March 30th, Monday, 2015. We say that at the top of the broadcast for all of those of you that are downloading this broadcast and listening to it on a downloaded basis. In fact, so many tell me, so many have told me that we there's so much content here and over a short period of time that they we have to. Uh, uh, we just have to listen to it several times on a downloaded basis. And there, more and more people are distributing this because of the content to others within the industry, within their team. So appreciate you dialing in and making it a way of you staying on top of everything going on. Folks, we are just so excited to be with you. This is a broadcast created by Mortgage Professionals for Mortgage Professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. Very happy about that. Today we have on the hot topic an industry update of all that's going on. Once a month we have a review of what the topics we covered, also give some latest updates. And I have an update. I was talking to Ken Markinson, who Markinson from who is from the MBA. He is at the tech conference. I was talking to him yesterday. Got some real interesting information I'll be sharing with you in the hot topic segment. So you'll want to stay tuned all the way. It has to do with TRID. Some uh, interesting uh, rumors running around out there. So we'll be sharing some of those with you. Um, Again, I want to stress it is a lot of talk. We'll see if it's it's going to materialize, but we should know more. Uh, and we're going to have Ken on next week to really give an update. But we'll be talking more about that in the Hot Topic segment. We're excited to have the regulars, Alice, Andy, and Joe, myself, reviewing everything that's going on in the industry. We get this as a regular request from uh, so many of you who are saying, Dave, we love listening to all the guests, but, man, we like to hear you guys digest what's going on. So that's what we'll be doing. Special thank you goes out to our sponsors, United Guarantee, who just happens to be a mortgage industry leader for the fourth consecutive year in a row. Very happy to have them be a part of what we're doing. I want to I want to just talk briefly about their uh, salespeople. There's a group of salespeople there, for the most part, that are just outstanding. And, and I want to encourage you, if you have not already done so, reach out and get to know your United Guarantee salesperson. Uh, There's a lot of good company, MI companies out there, but the services, and they did get to be the consecutive, uh, fourth year in a row consecutive leader in the industry by just doing a so-so job. They have really done an excellent job of bringing products and services to market that no one else has. So I encourage you to check them out at UGCorp.com. Also, special thank you goes to Velma. stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They are located, uh, well, it doesn't matter. We're all virtual, it seems like, these days, but they're located uh, in the Idaho area. But, man, I tell you, they do a great job of getting the word out. And if you work with them, they'll get the right message out. And that's always a challenge because I'm getting it to them last minute. And they do such a good job of really getting the word out. It's great service. I'm using it. We're starting to use it as our firm for some other email marketing. Very pleased with it. Also, of course, we say a regular thank you to our regular contributors, Alice, Joe, and Andy, who are contributing, as well as Paul Malo, and as well as uh, Sam Garcia with Mortgage Daily. We're just glad to have all you listening, and we're grateful to bring this information to you. Quick update, the MBA conferences. We have the tech conference going on right now at the Hyatt Regency in Orlando. If you're attending it or have attended it, love to hear from you and get your feedback on it. Again, spoke with Ken Markison, some great information coming from that already. Then also we have the state and local workshop, April 13th to 14th. And the 14th to 15th, we have the National Advocacy Conference, very important conference. Both of those are at the Capitol Hilton in Washington, D.C. Then May 6th, uh, 3rd through the 6th, we have the Legal Issues uh, Regulatory Conference. Very, It's so important that you stay up on all these conferences and stay uh, plugged in. Finally, we have the Secondary Conference in um, New York. That is May 17th through the 20th of this year. So attend that. Joe, let's talk about markets. Nice little rally on Friday. Another one today. And yeah. uh, so give us an update. What's going on, my friend? 
Well, right now we're up 4.30 seconds on the day today, about in the middle of the range. It's been a little volatile this morning uh, with prices being as good as up 6 or 7.30 seconds and, and down as low as 2.30 seconds. So it's, uh, But fortunately, it's all been uh, better than Friday, and as you mentioned, had a nice little rally on Friday. Uh, this morning, the um, measures came out, uh, including core PCE, which uh, came in pretty much as expected, increasing at one-tenth of a percent in January. Uh, personal income rose in February, a little more than expected. And um, one of the odd things was in uh, personal spending, actually, when adjusted hmm. for inflation, fell, and uh, kind of consistent with disappointing retail sales numbers. And that measure, since... Uh, Personal spending is a big part of GDP caused a lot of forecasters to reduce what they expect first quarter GDP to be. So, uh, But all are expecting, uh, kind of like last year, a, a low first quarter GDP led to a pretty good second quarter GDP. So we'll see if that happens again. Stocks are up big today, Dave. It's, uh, they're up, yeah. uh, up 280. Comments, apparently uh, some of it might be due to comments from a high-level Chinese official indicating that uh, there may be a little more stimulus coming in in China, uh, and so that's been good for stocks. Yeah, we are a global market. Any news that goes on this stimulus in one part of the country is going to have an impact on all the markets. That's good. So uh, let's get into last week, and uh, boy, I tell you, that was just one of those the the home sales numbers existing and and um, and then the new home sales lot lot of good information last week. There was good information, but the the big market mover last week started out as uh, Fed Vice Chair Stanley Fisher, who mm-hmm. in a speech kind of laid out what he views the Fed's policy regarding rate increases will be, and and uh, speculation was that that wasn't just his opinion. I, you know, I, I think he was trying to educate the the investment community that uh, uh, what he described it, it as far as Fed policy is that uh, it should be expected that there'll be the first rate hike uh, this year, but that following that, it's not going to be on a steady pace of uh, increasing the Fed funds rate, as has been done in the past, and he made it very clear that economic information is going to lead to further rate hikes or no rate hikes or maybe even rate reductions. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's going to put everyone on notice as we get things like this Friday's job report. The the major um, economic data is going to become even more and more important in how it influences mortgage rates because it will uh, influence the Fed. I was going to say, Janet Yellen also made some comments on Friday, and it's pretty consistent with the same thing. It's just like they're mm-hmm. going to be making movement ahead of the um, the data and anticipation of data improving. So they're going to be very careful, but we're, it's not like you're going to see a data number and you're going to see the Fed's reacting. They're going to be trying to keep their fingers out there, and then they said they're going to move. I, her comments were ahead of some of the data so that we don't, we don't wait too long so that this thing doesn't take off. So I loved her optimism that this thing could take off because there's a lot right. of people, Joe, that are not exactly convinced that this that we we there's more people I'm reading that seem to think that there's a significant market correction coming than anything. So it'll be interesting. Well, uh, yeah, and the and the data has been a little weak lately, uh, as you mm-hmm. mentioned the uh, the housing data that came out last week. I wouldn't say it was uh, it, it was. Well, it was less lower than expected in in uh, in one case, but much better than expected in the other. The existing home sales were a little lower than expected, but new home sales were off the chart. Uh, new home sales rose eight percent from January, and that's best level since uh, February two thousand and eight. So, uh, there's some things moving in the right direction. Durable orders, though, moved in, in the wrong direction. They were down one point four percent when a two percent increase was expected. Uh, uh, so, you know, I think we have a mixed message right now in the economic data, and, and I think we'll get a big dose of what it really, uh, what it's really looking like when we get the jobs report this week. Uh, that comes out on Friday, and this is an odd jobs report in that it's coming out on a day the market's closed. That's good Friday. Yeah, yeah it's uh, good Friday. I yeah. haven't, yeah, I haven't seen anyone say anything other than that's the date it's going to come out. But uh, that's a little surprising. You're not going to be able to react to the data. You know, if you're a secondary guy, you're not going to be able to cover your your locks 
until Monday. Uh, there's an early close on Tuesday as well. So, I mean, on Thursday as well. So be be prepared for that. So um, it should be an interesting day. Two hundred fifty thousand net new jobs expected with no no change in the un in, in the unemployment rate. Unemployment rate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before Friday's jobs report, ADP is going to come out on Wednesday, and uh, boy, they did a miserable job of of leading hmm. uh, the the expectations for the jobs report. They showed a net de- decline in jobs as opposed to a big increase, like we saw in the actual non-farm payrolls. Uh, also, before the jobs report, ISM comes out. Its big measure comes out on Wednesday, and then we'll see jobless claims and factory orders on Thursday. So. Um, yeah, the big event though obviously is the Friday jobs report. Yep, and it's interesting. So you know, we'll have to get Andy's thoughts on the hedging. So when you're hedging something, the market's closed. You have to anticipate, read the tea leaves, so to speak, and put your positions on, take your positions off. Uh, and and Thursday's a short day, so I just we have one of those days where. As you're managing interest rates, we'll get we'll get into the profit doctor's head a little bit and kind of going, what do you do in this kind of situation, mm-hmm. profit doctor? We'll get well, that the in a little is, hot. Let me tell you. Yeah, what is yeah. the short answer? You, you you close your lock desk when the market's closed. You don't yeah. take locks while the, when you can't adjust to it. You let your position run based on what it is, and then because the steel overnight protection will kill you, and you just can't do that anymore. Yeah, that's well, a little then you can also. Likely also going to build in loop cushion. Yes, yeah, you have you've got to build some cushion into this thing because even the m- pipeline you got, you, there's you know, is it stable? Where's it at? So, pipeline management is a big key to to where we go. So, thank you, Joe. Excellent stuff. Anything else that you got for us? That's it. All right. Fortunately, I don't have your notes in front of me because some issues I got going on right now, but it's good to have you be a part of the broadcast. Folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility over the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody, and we have on the line. Uh, shut that music off. It's getting too loud in my ear here. But we got Paul Mollo with us. And, yeah, Paul, it's always good to have you on the broadcast. I do. You've been a busy guy. But uh, uh, got your website up here. Let's run through some of the things that you're looking at here quickly. Lots of good information. New GSE loans account for the biggest share of unresolved Buyback claims. Boy, that's John's article there. Ban- Bancroft's article is very interesting. Caught my attention. Yeah. You know, the whole buyback thing is, you know, interesting. I mean, they, you know, all the big settlements have come down and, and been settled. And, you know, so now they're looking at the, the more recent books of business. And, they're, you know, and you probably have heard this from your clients because I think Chuck and I have talked about it in the past where, you know, they're basically making some of these guys buy back or identify them on current loans where they find these underwriting Boxes weren't checked, and it's sort of crazy <laughs> when you think about the loan call that we've had the last three, four years. It's, you know, is it, is it just heavy-handed, or or they're just, you know, this is what happens when you're in a conservatorship and, and your regulators making you, you know, be really, really careful. So uh, yeah. that, that the story's on uh, the IMF News website, and it's uh, it's there for all to see. Uh, but you know, the good news for the industry is that you know. Uh, despite the uh, slight uptick in the fourth quarter, repurchases in total for the entire year were down uh, about 82% from the previous year. And so, I mean, the good news is that, you know, the, the scourge is over, so to speak, but it looks like the GSCs are going to still nitpick you. So uh, that's, it is what it is. 
Uh, story is. number two, we have uh, this commercial bank out there trying to sell $10 billion in MSRs. This, this offering hit the uh, market this morning. It's a Mountain View deal. It's sort of interesting in there. They mentioned it's a bank. They mentioned it's a bank that likes to own MSRs. And then they also mentioned, well, you know, they would consider, you know, they want to really sub-servicing it, but they, they'll consider selling the whole barn thing. Uh, so that's that's on the story as well, on the site as well, I should say. Also, the big question hanging over the market right now, or maybe it's not that big a question, is what uh, the Federal Housing Finance Agency is going to do with uh, G fees. The, the heavy betting is that there'll be no increase or decrease in uh, Fannie Freddie G fees, but uh, the agency is going to come out and say something about loan level price adjustments. So that's stories on the website as well. Also, we got a Brandon Ivy story about uh, bank shift and tactics on loan mods. Uh, you had mentioned TRID uh, before the broadcast mm-hmm. started. Uh, There's a story there about uh, from Thomas Ressler from one of his newsletters uh, about vendor, one vendor who thinks, uh, you know, what's going on there. Uh, and I know you had mentioned, you said there's some scuttlebutt, scuttlebutt about uh, the NBA tech show, some rumor about TRID. Are you ready yeah. to enlighten this, David? <laughs> We're going to be doing that in the Hot Topic segment, but there has been a growing concern that people aren't ready, and so there has been an appeal made. Uh, and so evidently the NBA and some others wrote a letter saying, hey, guys, is, we're not saying don't implement it, but, you know, is, is there something we can do to make sure that everyone is ready? In other words, possibly a grace period. So there's different things we're hearing. Um, yeah. This came out of the tech conference. And uh, so we're, we've got, I called Ken Markinson when I heard sure. some of this data. And I said, Ken, and he said he's going to come on and talk about it. He hopes to have some of these rumors run down. And also a status on where the technology companies are at. Paul, a lot of these technology companies, they say they're ready, but then you start looking at it. Well, did you look at this and did you consider that? And a lot of them are listening to this broadcast and going, I'm not too sure. We're a little nervous about this. Yeah, so. yeah, and then and the, you know Thomas wrote about this last week. You know, you have uh, you know the, the the agency saying, "Well, we gave you guys 21 months or whatever." You know, yeah. um, you know who knows? It's it's an interesting story. A grace period would be interesting. Uh, we'll see. Maybe with uh, Easter coming up, the the agency will go. Uh, the holiday coming up, the agency will go uh, easy on the industry. But you know, they generally have not gone easy on the industry. No. So. Uh, I don't know. In the short take section, we mentioned a new jumbo deal from uh, Credit Suisse. Uh, Also, there was a Freddie Mac, a large Freddie Mac non-performing loan auction, which uh, came out after the market closed on Friday. Fannie, by the way, this is interesting. Fannie has not yet sold any non-performing mortgages Mm -hmm. where Freddie Mac has sold. I think they've done three deals now so far, uh, and they've been quite active. So I guess the question is, you know, Fannie Mae, what are you waiting for? Um, who knows? Yeah. And then one one last short item of note: uh, Representative Marsha Blackburn, Republican Tennessee, uh, late last week introduced a bill requiring Fannie and Freddie to uh, put future profits aside in, in a reserve fund, and that speaks to the whole concern about their uh, very thin capital cushion and what might happen if they have a bad hedging corner and need a treasury draw since they have, I think, about three years left, and, and they're going to have zero capital buffer. Now they have a small one. Uh, so there's a bill out there. Uh, I don't know if it's probably not going anywhere, but it's it was introduced and it's it's notable. So that's all the good stuff. All the good stuff. You're here. Well, you know, it may be the rumors are just from what Thomas wrote last week and about that. But it sounds like there's some more uh, feedback from yeah you know, from CFPB on this whole thing. So it'll be interesting. We'll talk about it. But you guys are on top of it. And folks, if you're looking for a website to stay on top of all that's going on, uh, you know. I tell you, IMF News does a great job. Paul, along with his team, John Bancroft and uh, Brandon uh, Ivy, as well as Thomas Rustler, they I mean, the whole group, great job keeping on top Thank of you. all of it. And there is certainly a lot of moving pieces. Appreciate you, man. Have Thank a good you. week. You too. Look forward to giving you an update. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Folks, uh, Alice Alvey is here with us and talking about legislative update. I mean, Alice, I mean, that story. I did read the story last week in IMF News about the trip possibly being um, there, there are, people are protesting. A number of the companies got together or agencies or the trade groups got together and, you know, put in a, hey, heads up, this is people may not be ready here. And you and I have been saying on the broadcast, or we all would say on the broadcast for some time, gosh, guys, you've had 21, 20, how many months are they going to by the time this goes live? You've had more than ample time. Um, what are you hearing, Alice? 
Well, I think um, I think at the very best, we should hope for something like a bit of a grace period like that we had with RESPA 2010, right? And that's mm-hmm. if you're really a positive thinker. Um, I right now, like everybody else, you would have to say, I have to operate that as of August 1st, all my applications can meet this requirement. And the best at this point, the MBA and everybody else trying to jump up in arms could could get, I mean, especially if you can get the realtors behind you, if you can get the title industry behind you, if everybody can get behind and say, we're, we've done everything. We truly did. I think there's some timelines out there where you can look at that the laundry list of questions that the CFPB was given by various technology providers, some of those questions didn't get answered until, you know, maybe within the last six to eight months. So, you you know, maybe there's a case out there for some lagging information from the original regulation that, you know, has caused the programming to be kind of just now in a lot of places being able to get rolled out to lenders. Lenders will only just have their sandboxes available to, to even start to begin to see how this will work and feel maybe next month. So we really aren't going to get on the lender side, regardless of what technology providers should have done. On the lender side, we're not going to get a lot of time to test and practice and make sure we've worked all the bugs out. So I think there's a legitimate case to at least ask for some level of forgiveness and errors, right? <laughs> okay, mm-hmm, yeah. I'll start to try to do it on August 1st, but I don't know if I can be perfect on August 1st. And I think that's the biggest concern. So we'll see. Um, for me right now, I'm amazed at a couple of things I've read. Um, I, re- I recently saw a headline about pre-approvals and was meeting with a customer, an excellent customer in the Midwest who was saying, oh, my gosh, our pre-approval is really dead. And I, I would just like to express to folks to recognize there are a couple components in this regulation that you should have already been doing. And CFPB right. was pretty clear on a few things, pre-approvals being one of them. They're not dead. You just have to speak correctly. <laughs> what a <Yeah>. concept. <laughs> Imagine that. You just can't say to a customer, I have to have your pay stubs and W-2s before I will give you a pre-approval letter. You can say, hey, it would be really great, and then I can, you know, I can give you the best estimate, but I'd certainly be happy to take your application based on verbal information, and your company just has to have a policy on what kind of letter is that going to look like in that kind of undocumented pre-qualification stage. Uh, it, they're just procedures you have to address, and there's certainly some good things you can still do in the market to service customers. The, the CFPB is not trying to squelch pre-approvals. They just want customers and everybody in the real estate side to be walking around with a real letter and and not under any pressure tactics pushed on the borrower. So uh, that's my two cents on the pre-approvals. I do want to make sure, folks, you don't forget about FHA. The FHA guide goes into effect for applications or case numbers, I should say, on June 15th. So this is in the mix of all the TRID. There are a couple of major changes, I think are major changes, that I always had on the Why I Love FHA list, Uh, one of them being student loans. So FHA is going to move to counting all student loans. Some of our clients did that for some risk risk management anyway, but most did not. Also, there's a change in in the earnest money deposit, and when does that trigger needing full documentation? Not that we weren't documenting it the full way anyway, but a lot of folks (laughs) kind of leaned on a few little tweaks within the 4155. So I think there's an urgent need to make sure you're getting the right FHA training out there based on all the new regulations. We've certainly got that for you. And get your originators to check that off the list. Then make sure they're looking at all the new loan estimate forms. They can practice now to get familiar with the form. Face-to-face applications are going to feel the most change for companies who no longer will be comfortable giving disclosures out at a face-to-face application. You'll have to walk through steps for your originators to change their conversation. So those are a couple of my big hot points for today. The big FHA changes coming way before, you know, good month and a half before TRIDS. Don't let those get lost in the mix, and we're happy to help. Uh, as far as legislation goes, nothing rocking the boat right now. We're just watching it and keeping an eye on it. We'll definitely watch that trade issue for you if it feels like we might get some breathing room. So that's my report for today, Dave. Good stuff, Alice. Appreciate it as always. And, folks, if you're looking for someone to help you sort through the trade issues, Alice Alvey has got the answers and some great worksheets and tools and all that training, ongoing support. So I encourage you to listen to the ad, and we'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, 
Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Well, I tell you, there's so much you can stay on top of, and uh, you really need a great service. And I tell you, that's uh, that's Alice. Get a hold of her, and uh, especially when I'm, I, I'm calling Alice. Hey, Alice, what about this? What about that? <laughs> it's an ongoing phone call that seems to be happening. Sam Garcia, it's always fun to have you be a part of the broadcast here. And uh, what do you have for us? I'm noticing in your notes that uh, non-bank lenders, is this an up or down number as far as employment? Well, um, we we put together our third or fourth quarter mortgage employment index, which basically we go in and track uh, as much as we can uh, layoffs at mortgage-related companies throughout the country. Uh, a lot of that stuff we get from state employment agencies, warrant filings, and of course just from covering the layoffs as we come across them. And uh, the latest number we have for the fourth quarter that it, uh, total mortgage employment in the industry was five hundred seventy-seven eight hundred. 577,800 people uh, in the industry for the fourth quarter. So that was our estimate. And we show that uh, that was broken down by basically there were 228,000 or so mortgage jobs at banks, uh, another 61,000 at credit unions, and 288,000 at non-bank lenders. So uh, Hmm. just give you a little bit of an insight of how the industry breaks down and you know, we've definitely seen a shift uh, from, you know, employment in the banking industry to employment at non-bank lenders. They're, it's like non-bank lenders are making somewhat of a comeback kind of pre-crisis activity, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was looking for is what that shift was looking like. Good. Then also, um, you know, some act, act, other activity that you're uh, – kind of focusing on let's run through those headlines some good material here and we didn't say this at the top of the hour but you know check it out www.mortgagedaily.com all these stories are there go ahead just ahead of each easter you got some other info yeah we we put out our mortgage market index which tracks weekly activity uh using data from optimal blue and uh Basically, what we saw is that even though rates went down last week, uh, activity started to slow. It uh, was basically down 5% on a week-over-week basis. But uh, the thing is is that uh, we, we have seen on an annual basis each year as we head towards Easter, activity does tend to slow quite a bit anyway. So um, that's pretty much a, seems to be a seasonal situation. One thing, though, was that the only category, there was one category where that didn't fall down last week, and that was jumbo mortgages, a little bit of an uptick, so uh, jumbo got a little mm-hmm. busier. Um, yeah. We've got some, we got some economic outlooks. Uh, the Mortgage Bankers Association put out their uh, forecast for originations, and they raised their estimate of what they expect uh, the second quarter refinances to be. Um, they lifted it by $10 billion from what they estimated last month, so now they expect $145 billion in refinances uh, for the second quarter. Um, but at the same time, what's interesting is that over at Fannie Mae, their economists put out their uh, outlook, and what they did is they actually cut this year's uh, refinance forecast to about $554 billion from uh, $574 that they predicted last month. Um, and next year's uh, was also cut to $424 billion from the $460 billion they expected uh, in the last uh, outlook they put out. Over at uh, yeah, Freddie Mac. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, you say does Freddie Mac weigh in on this? That's where I was just going. Yeah, we uh, that was they. Freddie Mac came out much earlier uh, with their forecast, so we actually covered that in a previous show. Um, I don't have that handy what they uh, what they had done, but uh, yeah. they all three of those are great sources. You know, she got some great good economists that just focus on the mortgage. Yeah. Stuff. Um, yep. Freddie Mac though did put release its uh, operational data and. It reported that it had 34.1 billion in purchases and issuances during February, which turned out to be the best month for Friday since August 2013, and that that was a month they did 36 billion. So a good a good increase in business over there. Um, 
of course, we got uh, today's real estate uh, pending sales report in, mm-hmm. and the Association of Realtors uh, reported that uh, pending sales increased 3.1% between January and February, and that February. turned out to be the best month since June 2013. So, you know, yeah. we've had some... We've had some reports that it seemed like uh, things might have been weakening, but now i uh, got a couple other reports that are saying, well, maybe the market's not, can, not doing so bad at this point. Um, FHA uh, put out a uh, – HUD put out a mortgagee letter, and basically it's indicating that FHA is going to be implementing uh, an electronic appraisal delivery portal. And so appraisals uh, from mortgagees that are delivered uh, as of June 2016 or later will have to go through this new portal. So FHA is moving into the future with appraisal delivery. <laughs> At the pace of a snail, but that, they're moving. Yep. Um, we we got some data last week from FHFA uh, indicating that, uh, that refinances of GSE loans uh, were down in January compared to December. And even more significantly is that in the oldest data we have available on HARP volume, you know, refinances done through the HARP program, right. It was the lowest month, uh, lowest level of volume last month than uh, than they've had uh, since we've been tracking it. So, you know, from the oldest data, data available, so HARP activity is really just slowing down, um, which I think everybody's aware of. But it's just interesting. But uh, one one player out there, Impact, put out their uh, their quarterly financials, and uh, they reported you know that originations jumped 20 percent. So it was it was a healthy increase from the third quarter to the fourth quarter. And that wound up being $1.1 billion that they originated in the fourth quarter. But the reason I'm bringing this uh, particular uh, story up was because in that report, they said that they expect their originations to soar past $2 billion uh, in the, in the first, first quarter. quarter of this year. Wow. So, so that's probably about the most optimistic uh, you know, outlook that I've heard of from any uh, mortgage player out there. And, and uh, I know that they had a new uh, you know, a non-QM product, but that's not really seeming to be a big play in what's going on with their volume right now. Um, they've got some other stuff going on, apparently. Yeah, that's interesting. They're, they're, they've got a positive outlook. I think there's, we'll see if they're looking at their acquisitions or some other means of increasing production, because that is pretty bullish over what others are saying. It's interesting they, to see they, what they are actually. They actually did announce an acquisition that uh, it will uh, should uh, close pretty soon, actually. Yeah, I knew they had something going like that. Um, that was that crazy. That, but you know, Joe Tompkinson, everyone out there is uh, pretty aggressive. So it's fun to see them still out there in the market. Some some companies just be around forever. This, they're one of the ones. So it's good. Yeah, they they were one of the only ones uh, of among their peers. You know, in the uh, non. Uh, non-conforming uh, market that made it through the you know the subprime crisis so uh mm-hmm. that that's that's worth uh, mentioning cuz you know obviously we lost a lot of players but yeah, yeah we lost right. a lot of them, but they they survived they're in the alt a space so maybe that's what redeemed they didn't get too deep into the subprime but so good appreciate you check out Sam's articles and uh, all the information at mortgagedaily.com and uh and get a hold of Sam at Sam Garcia at mortgagedaily.com or call him 214 521 1300. Sam, thank you so much for being a part of the broadcast, giving us an update. Thank you, sir. Information. Always fun. Appreciate it. Let's turn, I appreciate it. Uh, let's turn over to the Profit Doctor. Profit Doctor, you have had one successful uh, series of webinars through the MBA on the educational front and related to accounting. And uh, I think, do we report last week that it was this one was the most successful ever? That they've had, and, uh, and, the, and and it's not just that there. This is was it a four or five part? How many parts were there in this one? This last one think? that we just finished was a four part series yeah. on a, on everything from overview of mortgage through accounting and and hedging and hedging for accounting. Arguably one of the most complicated topics in the industry. Although I'm sure that people would say the deployment of TRID is. Now the most complicated. <laughs> well, that's maybe maybe that's it's complicated and challenging. It seems like uh, pretty far-reaching. <laughs> but the, the accounting thing is one of those areas that most people just their eyes roll back in the head. But what was most impressive about that webinar is that they said that nobody left. They kept yeah. You know, if anything, the, the audience kept growing. So kudos to you. And so let's hear some of your thoughts on what's going on. I know we're going to have you participating in the hot topic segment. But what do you have for us before we get into that? Right, Dave. Well, we're going to be doing another webinar series on compliance management systems, CMS. Oh, boy. 
compliance management systems. And this is not a computer system. It's a structure that oversees compliance activity. And, you know, you can kind of think about it like CMS is control, monitor, and supervise. It's, it's, it's changing the role of the compliance department in a very big way. It, it's kind of like it's kind of like when I was a kid and my parents went out of town. One of my aunts or uncles would come over and stay with my brother and me so that we didn't burn the house down. That's what it's like now. We're going to have Uncle Rich. We're going to have Uncle Rich as part of our daily life. Uncle Rich, Richard Cordray, director of the CSPB. Uncle Rich is going to be part of our life in a very, very deep way. A compliance management system has to be structured so that if you want to start a new business line, you got to check with Uncle Rich first. Now, not literal. You don't actually send something to the CFPB, but you have a structure in your organization when there's somebody on point for this and any significant decisions relating to the business as a whole, launch a new retail platform, get into wholesale, do something different that has any impact on a customer, you've got to check with Uncle Rich. So that's what a CMS is. It's it's a big system of controls. It's the CPAs are all about this. Every CPA in the country that we've been working with who are auditing mortgage companies are saying, tell me about your CMS. And if you don't have one, that's going to be a finding in your footnotes, and it's going to go to your warehouse bank. So we're going to teach people how to install a compliance management system. Hmm. Control, monitor, supervise, CMS, control, monitor, supervise. Compliance management system, that's what the webinar coming up in June is going to be all about. Big new Very topic good. Here. Uncle Rich Hot has new got time. a new office. He's right down the hall. That's unbelievable. That's a great way to put it, Uncle Rich. I wonder, I know we have folks from the CFPB listening, so that, that'll that get back to him, I'm sure. So anyway, good stuff. Anyway, uh, time to think if there's anything. i got so many questions for you as we head into the Hot topic session, so uh, we'll save them for there, but it's good to have you with us, Andy. Appreciate you taking time because I know you're one busy guy these days. Folks, we're going to be right Thank back you. after this brief break with a hot topic segment. And we're talking about all the some of the latest industry updates. So we're all going to be participating. Text me if you have anything that you would like for us to to ask or discuss with the panelists. We'll be right back after this break. break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you with us, everybody. We appreciate you tuning in, making this a part of your broadcast. And the way you're getting information, and we have covered a lot of information over the last four weeks on broadcast. And a number of you have told me over and over again, Dave, really appreciate it when you just get your your regulars, you know, Alice and Andy and Joe back on the broadcast and just you guys just talk about everything you've been talking about. It kind of gives us a flavor of what's going on. So um, I want to I want to dive into that right away and get going on that. And we're being the gentleman that we are from Texas, we're going to kick it off with Alice and we're going to kind of go backwards. Alice, Alice, you recently did a broadcast on contract underwriting. I got a lot of feedback on this and I'm going to start off with you. Um, a lot of people were saying that they were unaware that the MI companies outsource. In other words, hire and one of the people they hire, well, I guess on a regular basis, is Indicom to to do this work. And they're going, how how does that work? I mean, should and I know you work for Indicom and you sold your company to Indicom, so maybe a bit of a conflict on there. And we're gonna then Andy, we're gonna come over to you talk to you about the variable cost aspects of this. So um, and then Joe, I want to get your commentary. So that's how we're gonna go through this particular topic going on that. So if you could, Alice, give us your thoughts 
on a, a client going to you or an MI company, and if you could be as impartial, <laughs> you're always impartial. I trust <laughs> you for your impartiality. Well, I think certainly a lot of companies are used to, you know, historically the MI companies have provided a lot of contract underwriting service, services. And if you want to work through your MI provider, you know, one of the things we're finding is some customers just want a shorter list of vendors, right? They, they, yeah. The more they can centralize a process, maybe the customer uh, feels more comfortable working directly with the MI rep um, and that company because of a relationship that they already have. And certainly we don't ever step on that, right? If uh, We understand many companies utilize our services, uh, very, a variety of our services, even training. Sometimes we're behind the scenes from another provider, like we work very closely with MBA. So uh, we, we're very comfortable supporting other companies. Um, and so a client who maybe has both, you have the MI company that you want to work with, check with them, but uh, certainly check with us as well, because we're, we're happy to help um, in whatever business relationship makes the most sense for that client. Well, so give us one of the questions that came in from a listener, and again, that's why we're doing this, listeners, is because we get a lot of your questions after these broadcasts, and this is once a month we kind of go back and answer. One of the people say, is there specific advantages, Alice, of, of an MI company? The, the general understanding is, is that you're going to get a credit overlay or some type of guarantee with an MI company that's stepping in there, even if you're doing the work. Comment to that. Uh, that'll vary by contract. I mean, I will say that most underwriting outside outsource underwriting contracts are not going to give the lender a blanket, you know, pass that we're covering covering you on all your lending. Uh, you have to remember from a regulatory standpoint that as a company, you still have to sign off that it's okay to issue your funds on the transaction. So, in no case are you ever 100% off the hook. Um, so the wording in there is certainly that, you know, can we'll, we stop we'll right there? Can, I, yeah. I, I just want to underscore that a lot yeah. of people think that they're going to hire a contract service and they're going to be alleviated or or the, their responsibility is that they're going to be able to push all of that back to no. the yeah, to the contractor. Gone. And that's that that's just not reality anymore. I mean, there may have been a day no. where you, some firms are out there selling it in that way, but that day is gone. So. Underscore that. All right, go on. Now. Yeah, so that, there wouldn't there wouldn't be a difference in that between the MI company and and uh, and going directly with us. So um, in terms of the overlays, if you need the mortgage insurance, then you're going to have to use that whether you're going through us and you need the mortgage insurance or you go directly to the MI company and you need the mortgage insurance. I will say we'll underwrite any conventional loan whether it has MI on it or not. And sometimes when you work directly with the MI companies, you know they're more interested in in the loans with the mortgage insurance. Yep. That, that's understand. Andy, I want to go over to you, the profit doctor. Everyone's talking about the variable cost. And you and I, we hinted on that. And some of our people picked up on some things that you said in, in the broadcast as saying, you know what, there's a variable cost, but these services, in order to keep people employed, are going to be there, and they're paying that fixed cost. So the service is going to be a bit more than your internal cost. Any feel for... What is going to be is you know what, how much of a, a difference is there is one of the specific questions between contract underwriting and what can they anticipate and I know we haven't done a survey and looking at all the contract underwriting services and and how much it compares to fixed costs but there is a difference it's just logical well I'll give you a couple of quick points one of the things that I said last week is only touch files that close right that's the most efficient mortgage bank is you only touch files that close so you you have to have enough. Staff. You have to have enough processors to process your active pipeline. And ideally, your processors only test the files that close. So, but, but we know that mortgage banking has this, you know, take a deep breath expansion. It's like, it's like all the belts in my closet, my, the belts for my pants, all my belts <laughs> shrunk. They don't, they don't fit right. And so they, they need to have an elastic section put into my belt so that they expand a little bit. And that's what mortgage banks need. You need your belt with some elastic built into it so you can pull it when you need to. And so you know, after a big dinner. So that's what you need to have embedded into your organization. So if you've got five processors and you need six, you've got to recruit, hire, train, develop, all the HR stuff. And so if you could work with a company like Alice, they've got a pile of, I don't know, hundreds of processors. And so for them to take on 
seven extra loans or whatever, 20 extra loans, whatever it is, is is absorbable because they got a great big huge belt. Whereas for us to actually add the internal capacity of actually getting a bigger belt is painful. It's a lot of process to deal with, and it's inexpensive because you got to go buy hire this next new person. And then what happens if your volume goes back down? So you yeah. want to make it so that you you only you pay on a per loan basis. You want to pay only pay for the loans that close. So you want to pay for just the activity that actually generates revenue. So you don't want to add a processor and then volumes goes back down and then you either got to fire them or they sit there unproductive hoping the volume comes back up. You know, that's been the bane of mortgage banking forever. You've got to have variable structure operations and people have been so reluctant to turn loose of those reins. But it's the only way to be truly efficient and with the margin compression we're going to continue to see with the compliance requirements there's really no choice. You, you don't have the margin in the business anymore to run inefficiently. You've got to be able to stretch the belt, and that's what Alice's team can do. Joe, several people said, we wanted to hear more of Joe's thoughts about contract underwriting. You, everyone knows that you run a number of mortgage companies, and they said, did Joe do this? <laughs> so I actually had someone write that. you got some fans out there, Joe. <laughs> that well, we, we did use contract underwriting, and they were through the MI. And, uh, you know, at the time, I, I think during the show last week, I mentioned that it, it proved very uh, helpful to have had the MI guarantee uh, yeah. behind the work of their LOs in, a, in a several circumstances. But what I'd like to behind ask Behind the work Alice, of their uh, underwriters. Yeah, sorry. You said the LOs. I mean, oh, yeah, behind the yeah. Yeah. underwriters. Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, uh, Alice, what kinds of things, metrics or uh, operational things, can somebody who is contracting with Indicom or a contract underwriter, hope to get in their agreement with you, like turn times and uh, you know, just what kinds of operational things can you pick up in, in doing a contract with someone like that? Well, we can uh, absolutely pull together, you know, what kind of turn times are expected. Um, so we establish all those, you know, the same SLAs that you would expect out of your own staff would be what we would expect, and actually, if you're behind, our our service level agreement or you know, our service levels may be better over than what your your team is able to provide. Um, so, you know, we really strive to blend in with your existing model and your expectations, uh, you know, on a daily basis for keep maintaining the service so that we are, in a sense, um, seamless with your current process. And then we run our own internal IQA alongside of that. So that's not something you're getting today. When you, if your right. underwriters, you know, no one's auditing them. We're conducting simultaneous audits of ourselves, so you also get the information on that quality as well. Alice, one of the people wrote and said, isn't it better that we have someone like you know, a third party coming in there? Because aren't they also staying up to date? We touched on that, but if you could say how much effort are you guys going through to stay current on all the – all the underwriting conditions, and then also the sync-up nature. How do you sync up with the various companies for which you're doing it? Because there are going to be different overlays or their own criteria and how they're going to look at it. So the first part of your question, we, like Andy mentioned earlier, we have a compliance management system which kind of dovetails into content management and really between those two, between having to stay up on compliance and the content for the learning, we are, like for the show, right, I'm out in front at the proposed rule stage. <laughs> we're, we're out mm -hmm. in front during the initial conversations and tracking all of that through a full CMA throughout our process to ensure things are changed and implemented ahead of time, and we assist our customers with those changes. Um, and then... Uh, I'm sorry. The second part of your question was. <laughs> well, how do they? How do you sync up? I mean, what processes oh, are you seeing? Yeah, the syncing yeah. up with their with each each other because everyone underwrites and views things somewhat different. I mean, it depends on how you're selling your loans into the market, but there there can be some variances from company to company. So that's a very important process, and we've done it many, many times. So we have it very down pat where it's a process of engaging with the client up front in a consultative approach, uh, working through uh, that what initial training is required. You know, we, we're used to working with lenders who have multiple investors that they're selling loans to with credit overlays. Uh, we have our own proprietary systems that we set up and program to make sure we catch those types of uh, variables and put checklists in place so that we have solid job aids. 
And then we go through what we call a ramp-up period so that we test everything and uh, make sure things are going smoothly before we go to full operation and steady state. Looking at the clock, I want to make sure we get through all the other things. Andy, we did a rebroadcast of the third-party management system on excuse me, March 16th while I was on vacation. And, again, thanks so much for rerunning that so I could enjoy my vacation. But one of the questions that came up in, in that is, what level, is this applicable for companies of all levels, of all sizes, or is this something, is vendor management, third-party management, something that's just applicable to the bigger companies? Well, that's a great question, Dave. And like some of the CFPB guidelines have exemptions for small lenders. For example, the CFPB rules for servicing have a number of exemptions for small lenders, but not the third-party management rules. It is applicable to everybody, no matter what size. And if, like, for example, if you're going to be hiring Alice to come in and do your contract underwriting, then you've got to run her company through your vendor management process because their team will be touching proprietary customer data. So you got to do this. It's a mandate. It's, it's a mandatory requirement. Third-party management requirements are not very expansive. I mean, it's, it's only like five different things, but you have to do it. And the big deal is you have to track it. You have to make sure your service level agreements include the performance standards, and then you have to monitor the performance standards. But, but you know, think about it real quick, Dave. If, if you're hiring a contractor to come work in your house you're going to want to make sure they're good at what they do. You want to check their references. Yeah. You want to make sure they've got financial stability. They're not going to take your deposit money and run off with it. And they're going to do a quality job. And you're going to have some sort of measurement because you're going to be watching it, but you need to know that they're doing their job right. Well, that's all it is. You should be doing this anyway. That's the, thing about, mm -hmm. that's the one thing about the third-party management rules is that you should be running your business with this kind of control over the people you hire to do things for you Anyway, it's just good business. Yep, that is it's it, it it hits and applies to everybody of all sizes. One person said, if you have your files open on your desk at the end of the day and you're not locking things up in your office and you have a cleaning crew going through there, the cleaning crew is still applicable because they have access to consumer data. And so it's there's just so many things to think right. about. You're not immune from it, folks. And if you have any questions, go back and listen to that broadcast. And because we, it was a lot, a lot of great content in that one. On March 9th, we talked about with Chuck Klein, who's our business partner, about mergers and acquisitions. And a lot of people wrote and said, Dave, I'm thinking about it. And so I started pinging people, asking people, why is it that you're considering selling? And it really comes back to <laughs> something Alice talks about all the time. It's the amount of legislation that's going on, the amount of compliance that's going on. It just seems like many people that have been in the business for years are really just getting overwhelmed. Now, Joe, I'm going to start off with you on this because you sold your company, but it wasn't for that reason. There's different things that have gone on. You also were a choir of companies. You listened to that broadcast. What is the your, your content or what your, your thought of when to hold, when to fold, as they say in Texas and, and, the, and the poker table? Well, I'll start by saying Chuck Klein, who was the speaker on that show and, and his partner at the time, did fabulous work for us. And uh, we were primarily an acquirer as opposed to a seller. Uh, we did sell some parts of things, but uh, yeah. you know, in Chuck's assessment of of the transaction, he was right about it. Need it taking a while. You got to be patient, and you have to you have to know. I mean, he talked about working out things on the, on the boat. You got to know that you're going to get along well with people that you're hooking up with, whether you're being acquired or you're acquiring. We are a service-oriented business that's primarily driven by personal contacts, and yes. you, know, you, you really cannot own that. The, those contacts go from place to place with the person as they move. So working hard initially to know that it's a good fit is uh, what I heard Chuck saying, and it's what he helped us do, and, and we generally had very good luck with uh, the acquisitions we had due to that that sort of emphasis. It, no question can I jump that, in real quick there? I just wanted yeah. to add, and for our company, when we went through our merger, I'm just going to say I called Chuck too late. 
That's just a heads up to yeah. everybody. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I'll Chuck, Chuck early. I hope you. <laughs> Hopefully you're listening to this, Chuck. So I mean, that's a good endorsement. Unsolicited, unintended, but um, but nonetheless, welcome and received. Yeah, there. I think there's. It's finding someone like Chuck's personality that's what for me would be so valuable. I'm an A personality. I'm going to be up when I got a full. A royal flush in my hand, and I'm going to be depressed if I have a lousy hand. And so people like me shouldn't be involved in selling their own companies. And many business owners are a personality types, and it is a commercial component, and it's got to have what I refer to as a good guillotine manager. It's keeping your head when all those about you, around you, are losing theirs. So it's, that's what Chuck does real well. It's that emotional stability just to stay on focus and stay tight. That's not to say that he doesn't go through his own swings after he hangs up on some of these conversations. But it's important broadcast. I encourage you, if you're looking to doing anything as it relates to buying or selling, listen to that broadcast. There was a lot of good content on that. And then, finally, we had a, a segment on recruiting. We had Jeff Jensen who's the author of What a Hoot, Let's Recruit. He's given me both the book and the audio CD series. Some really good information. The thing that found I found most interesting, and I was going to lead off on that, and then I was going to go to Alice, then I go to Joe, and then Andy, so you guys can get ready. What I found most about this, I think recruiting is one of the most important things you can be doing out there. But my soapbox right now is we're recruiting from the same pool. We see people moving around. I want to challenge you that are listening to this, that are recruiting in this industry. What are you doing to bring new, fresh, young blood into our industry? I got to tell you, look around at some of these conferences. Now, I'm gray-haired, silver-haired old guy at this thing. Chuck's been around it for a while. And Andy, now those guys, I don't know how they haven't gone gray. I don't understand that. But, uh, but Joe, you and I have been around this forever, and Alice, she refers to herself as, uh, well, we won't say that. that. That's for Alice to say. But it has to do something with a uh, better round for Good a long job, time. Dave. Good job. I sidestepped that temptation <laughs> to go to that one that one website that they have or the one group they have. But it's hilarious. But Old mortgage hags. You can say it. It's okay. <laughs> well, the reality is, is we go to these conferences, and Alice, we walk around there, Everybody is getting up there in years. We've got to get a fresh flow of new faces into this industry. And so one of the passions that I have is to draw in new people. I'm working with a number of clients. Every client I've got right now, I'm going, what are you doing to recruit new people into this industry? Because they're fresh blood. So I've got some companies, one of which I was with last week, uh, First United Bank in uh, Lubbock and Amarillo. They're going to step up and start going out recruiting and I think we all need to do that. So it's a great book on recruiting. It's not just recruiting people that are experienced, but it's how to recruit generally, whether you're recruiting new people. So go back and listen to that broadcast. But talking about recruiting just generally, uh, let's go off with you, Alice, and then and then Joe, and then Andy. Alice, your thoughts on the recruiting topic? Well, as you all know, I'm I'm an operations mind uh, person who tries to think like a salesperson too. And I'm going to say from a recruiting standpoint. I just don't see enough folks operationally recruiting, you know, that um, which I guess is good for us because then they need our outsourcing services. (laughs) I I totally agree with you. There is a need for getting new people into this business who don't have baggage, who are excited, um, and who can see the opportunities of getting people into home ownership. I think that's a tough message for some people to carry on with all the regulations we've had. So that's my message. I agree with you. We need new people. Joe, your thoughts? Well, uh, I thought it was a little bit going overboard when he when he said he uh, analyzed handwriting to figure out who he was going to oh, right. <laughs> recruit. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but it, if it works, it works. Right? It. Yeah, well, it does. I hate to say it, it does, and and it's to analyze and look at where certain things are going on. Alice made a great point in that broadcast. I'm not going to get repeated because I want people to go back and re-listen to that. That she noticed this with a particular family member that they watched some how that how it changed with as things. So, you know, uh, I, I think it's important to. There's many things you look at. That was one that caught my attention. As hmm, hadn't thought about that. Yeah. But there's other great tools in recruiting. So. You know, Joe, what, when you owned your own company and and have grown, what was the what was your focus on recruiting? Everyone wants to know what did Joe do. <laughs> the <laughs> uh, much like the the acquisition thing, because really it's all the same. It's a matter of finding people who will fit 
in the personality of the company. Um, yeah. And, and you know, we sort of a southern co- company, and and we operated under the theory that you treat everyone with dignity and respect, and that includes the the operations people helping out the best producers and. And so, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta have people that fit that same mold, not the ones that are gonna, uh, you know, create turmoil in their wake. And so, uh, mm-hmm. it was important to to determine people that fit fit with the personality of the company. Well, it is it's a challenge to find that fit, and that's what I think Jeff Jensen did a really good job. I know the man's values. I know what he's about, and he said of all the things, it's just got to be a right fit. And we all have worked, whether we went to work for a company and going, oops, should have asked some more questions, or whether you got married and going, oops, I wish I would have asked more questions. Whatever you're recruiting into, you got to make sure you get the right questions. And there's some great tools and tips in there. Now, Andy, I wanna, as we look at the clock, we're wrapping up this broadcast, but um, you've done a good job, as, as as Chuck has. Both of you have gotten your sons into the business. So we've got some fresh young blood. I'm trying to recruit my oldest daughter into this. I haven't gotten done such a good job yet. But your thoughts on, the, on recruiting the new and then also some of the tools. We've seen, Andy where you and I have been consulting together, we look at some of the cultures, and they are so different. And there's the us versus them. I'd like to have you kind of talk about all of that, if you could, and you're concisely as you always do. Absolutely, Dave. Well, back when I was running a mortgage company or been senior manager of a mortgage company, the question was, when am I not recruiting? Because I'm always recruiting. Great. I would go, yeah. I would go out to lunch, and if if the waiter I was talking to was met my standards, they were personable and responsive, they were attentive to my needs, they listened well, and they got my order right, they were they were my next target for a new originator. And I would yeah. always carry with me in my in my pocket or in my in my jacket a, a pin with my company name on it. Because if I give them a card, they'll lose it. But I give them a pin with a company name on it. And I said, ah. "How'd you like to quadruple your income?" And I hand them the pen, and I say, give me a call. Let's talk about this. Because you take somebody with those attributes, personable, responsive, attentive, listens well, and gets it right the first time, you can, you can make it work because you've heard the saying, you can't put in what God left out. So yes. if they've got those, if they innately have those abilities, and a lot of times waiters do, then that skill set is transferable because then it's all about knowledge. It's about teaching them how to do a marketing strategy, teaching them product information, teach them how to how to uh, be successful in the business, be accountable, be structured. And there's a lot of the existing mortgage originators out there who aren't that structured, frankly, and, and need the balance of structure and also collaborative approach to the business, which is the culture point you're pointing out. You've got to have an, a, a perspective of being being personable, responsive, attentive, listen well, get it right, and be collaborative. So if, if you're collaborative, then you want to work with the processing team to help them be successful. And you want the underwriters to be able to be successful because the files come in really completely clean. It's not all about me. And so it's got to be somebody that has that innate, I care about other people, I care about how other how what I do affects others. So you get a person who's a raging narcissist who can't think about anybody other than themselves. I don't care what their volume is. They're going to fail in my company because you have to be collaborative and you have to think about others. Or you're never point. going to fit. Great point. That is excellent point, folks. That's good, Eddie. Very good. I think we, we we don't pay enough attention to we get enamored with numbers and units or dollar volume, and we don't spend enough time because you may have just married yourself a heck of a horrible situation and a headache, and that's, that's so true. I want to say thank you to Alice and Andy and Joe for their participation and their thoughts on this. It's always whoopsie, something. Whoops, hit the wrong button there. I was trying to hit the, the drums button. I'm so sorry, guys. Well, By Dave, the way, for quick, those of you who don't. Before we go, yeah. hang on. Let me interrupt, Dave. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. Oh, I just think the whole topic of bringing people in, it's culture, culture, culture. I've become a culture warrior. And I think more than anything else, I look at people chasing dollars and not trying to build the right culture. Culture is, and this is what you guys are all saying. You bring the right people in. You're working with the right professionals, bringing them in. That is so important that if we create the right culture, we have that thing that you call, Andy, a sustainable long-term revenue model. 
And that is what's so important. We look for the quick fix, but we need production, and we didn't eat it now. And you go out and chase that top producer, and you get them, and you go, oh, my gosh, life is just too short. Now, that's not to say you recruit the low product. There are good top producers that will fit with your organization. Know your culture. Know what works within your organization and have the guts to stick with it. And that's where more people fail is they don't stick with what they know to be their culture and fit with that. They make compromises, and that's what it costs people. Not only sometimes just the culture and some peace of mind, but sometimes it costs them the whole thing. And that's what's so tragic. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate you pulling that out of me. Good job. Great answer, Dave. Folks, we're, <laughs> it's always fun to it's, – well, it's one of my hot topics. Culture is uh, my, my real big, big hot button these days. But anyway, folks, we've got Ken Markison that will be on next week. I'm looking forward to having him here, and it will be fun. He, is, he and I were talking yesterday from the tech conference. He's going to bring us a report from the tech conference. We're going to talk about some of the vendors that are there that are whether or not they're ready or not. For TRID, Alice's favorite topic. And if you have trouble figuring it out, Alice is the one to go to. Joe, quick market update. What's the market doing right now? Joe? Joe? We're near the best levels of the day. Okay. Near the best levels. Okay, good, good. He had already put it on mute over the side there, folks. Yeah. Have a great one, everybody. See you back here next week. Appreciate you telling others about it. Have a good one. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening. 